make sure that this works. Aha, uh -huh, it works. Uh, I'm coming to you today uh, from, I don't know, can you read it? it? You can. What gifts to give Jesus this Christmas? So you all sort of know that it's the birth of Jesus that we celebrate, yes, on Christmas? That's what we normally do on Christmas. And so we want to be able to uh, point that out and, and consider what is it that we can give to Jesus on, on every Christmas, but perhaps this Christmas. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, and I have some of these verses uh, on the screen, but turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse 1 through basically uh, 12. Uh, and let's read this together. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east uh, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Uh, the King Herod, when King Herod heard this, was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's, uh, people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will uh, be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi uh, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard, this, heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead on, on them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and pr uh, presented him with the gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Uh, let me just stop there for, uh, for now. <clears throat> and verse 12, basically, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to the same place, they returned to their original place different ways. Uh, most of the Christmas scene actually has, you know, as you know, uh, it has the shepherd, the manger, and the uh, angels, and it has everything all together. But what we're reading here is, at least in verse 10 here, it says, I'm coming to the house. So by this time, Jesus is no longer in the manger. He's not, you know, in, still in manger. He's probably in a house. It could be a week or a few weeks later. Uh, so we know that uh, Jesus is now in a house. Uh, but these wise men, is we're going to learn a couple things, a few things about these wise men and learn for, learn, learn for ourselves some teachings that we can glean from them. Um, they're fascinating people, at least in this Christmas story. But let me give you some questions, trivia questions, uh, to kind of answer as we go through this uh, reading here. Who were these people? Who were these wise guys? Or wise men, I'm sorry. <laughs> Who were these wise men, the magi? <laughs> The Bible calls them magi, and all we know about the, them is the fact that they might probably be a combination of a philosopher or a scientist or astronomer, but they're pretty uh, educated folks. Uh, they're probably well off, uh, and they had the capacity to travel long distance uh, to get to where they were searching. Where did they come from? Uh, we really don't know. It only says from the east. So east of 
Jerusalem, and so you could probably guess where that might be. Persia, it could be India, it could be China, or it could be Korea. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I never lose hope. So there might be those. And so we don't know exactly where it was, but he, they came from a far east, somewhere from far east. How many were there? A trivia question. A lot of people say it's three. Uh, but the Bible really isn't say, doesn't say there were three. We normally kind of deduct to the point that there might have been three because we talk about the three gifts they brought. But it could have been six. It could have been ten. It could have been more. It could have been a caravan of these wise people uh, who came to uh, seek Jesus. But today, I want to take a look at these wise men and learn, first of all, uh, what made them wise. And I think there's a lot of truth that we could learn uh, about them. And as we learn about them, apply that to ourselves. So first is, what made them wise? And the second part of the message will be, what do we give to Jesus? What, what, do, we, what do we give to Jesus who might have everything? All right? So first question is this, what made these wise men wise? I would say first part is, they were seekers of the truth. Uh, it made them wise, and that they're wise people because they were seeking the truth. Verse 2 talks about where, you know, they come to this Bethlehem and before the King Herod, and they ask this question, where is the one who had been born king of the Jew? So they obviously have studied the Old Testament. They knew uh, perhaps a lot of things about the Old Testament and the prophets, prophetic words that was to be fulfilled, but they were seeking the truth. Where is this Jesus? We, we saw the star, and we traveled a long distance, uh, and what we want to know is we want to know the truth. And I think that might be the first thing that you and I could glean from in our personal walk with the Lord. Do you want to be wise? Continue to seek the truth. Continue to seek the truth. And Jesus said in 14, John 14, 6, I am the truth, and we have to continue to seek the truth in Christ. These folks have done it. They obviously have studied the text. They might have asked a lot of good questions. And, and I think they were searching and they were waiting and they were looking for signs. They were looking for something. And when they saw the star, they put the two to two, two, to two together and they started seeking and searching. And they probably traveled long, long distance so that they could actually understand where this child was supposed to be born. And perhaps some of us in this room uh, are attending worship, and you might know other people who are always looking for the truth. Uh, this is a good thing. Sometimes we have to seek the truth. Unwise people never seek the truth. Whatever they want to hear, they just grab onto it. But wise people start asking, not wise guys, but wise people start asking the right questions. Where is this baby, king of the Jews, who was supposed to be born? Where is he? I mean, they were seeking. Second thing I think that made them wise is this. They were willing to go to any length to find it. They were willing to go to any length to find it. That's wise. Um, these guys were willing to go to a great extent. And the verse, uh, verse 1 again continues to say, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they had traveled a long distance to get here. We don't, we don't know whether it's you know, a few miles, a few hundred miles. But what, they, what we know is they have traveled from far land to get to this place. 
And even today, if you're traveling across the United States, it's never free, right? So there's a cost involved in that. Not only just monetary cost, but what's also involved, your time. You have to be willing to extend your time. Back then, they didn't have, you know, Arco stations everywhere, and they didn't have gasoline stations or pit stops. So they had to carry, perhaps, a lot of their food and, and everything they needed in order to travel. A lot, of, a lot of trouble that they had to go through. But they were willing to go to any lane to find the truth. Here's the irony. <clears throat> when Herod was asked, where is this king of the Jews supposed to be born? All the scholars were saying what? Supposed to be born in Bethlehem. From Jerusalem, it's about six miles away. So they were right there in the vicinity of where Jesus was born. But the irony is what? Nobody was searching. The King Herod wasn't searching. The political leaders were not searching. The religious leaders were not searching for Jesus. The business people, nobody in all of, Jude all of Jerusalem were not searching for Jesus. But what we do know is these magis from the east, they were not only searching, but they actually went to great, great extent to get to and to find the Messiah. The point is this. I think another applicational point is Jesus is, and using their study here, Jesus, you could be right near Jesus and still miss him. And that sometimes happens to the best of us. He is always walking with us. He is always near us. As soon as you open or close your eyes and as you start calling out to God, he is right there with you. But sometimes we miss him. We miss him in our life. Why? Because we're not looking for him. One, these guys were wise because they were searching. And second, they went to the great extent. And the third is this. They didn't stop until they met Jesus, or until they found Jesus. They didn't stop. I mean, they came to King Herod, asked a question, and they basically concluded that this boy was, was uh, the baby was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, and so they go to Bethlehem and still following the star, and they get to a place uh, and coming to a house where the star stopped, and they saw the child. Have, have all of you come to a place where you met Jesus personally? Not just to say I know things about Jesus, but have you come to a place where you know Jesus and have met Jesus? Sometimes people start asking these right questions. They, they are, they're hungering. They want to try to fill a void in their heart, and so they start asking, what's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? There's got to be more to this life than this. And they start asking. They start searching. Sometimes they try out different things, but eventually, sometimes they get to a church or location where people, the gospel is preached, that Jesus is proclaimed, and they sometimes get to a point, wow, this is probably what I was looking for. But you know what happens in the midst of all that? I'm not talking about you directly, but you know what happens to a great majority of us? who first start off searching Jesus, searching for Jesus, and going at the great length of do, trying to do that, we get busy. We get busy with life. We get busy with work. We get busy with family. So many other things start creeping into our search of Jesus and our devotion and wanting to meet him personally. And so somehow we settle for what looks like Jesus, <laughs> 
what smells like Jesus, what appears like Jesus, and we, we're okay with that. We shouldn't be. We should be only okay when we have met Jesus personally, when we have bowed down before him personally, rather than, I go to a church. Have you guys heard of that? I'm a Christian, why? Because I go to church. Well, yes, in, in some theological sense, the body of Christ, this is what that represents. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian. We, only being followers of Jesus as your Lord and Savior makes you a Christian. And so we have to go beyond just the appearance of. Well, he's in Bethlehem. That's good enough for me. <laughs> Let's go back. Because Jesus, I, we're told that he's in Bethlehem. But they didn't quit. Uh, they went to great length to search for Jesus. And they were unwilling to stop until they saw Jesus personally. So the third application for us is continue to search. Some of you might be at pretty near to it. Some of you might be feeling some weirdness in your heart. Asking those questions has been a long time. And you're still not settled in your heart because you don't know. Have I met Jesus personally? Not because you go to church. Not because you go to this great church living hope. But have you met Jesus personally? The next one is pretty important here. What made them wise? They came for the right reason. They came for the right reason. The scripture says it this way. And they ask, where is the one who has been born, king of the Jews? We saw his stars in the east and have come to, everybody say it together, worship him. They weren't trying to get into the Guinness Book of Records, trying to be the first one to find this star child. (laughs) Their motivation and their goal was what? Why did they go to the distance? Why did they come from a far distant land, spending their own money and time and searching after What did they do? Why? They did it because they could worship him. They wanted to show their gratitude, their honor, worthiness of who he is, and acknowledge their love for this king of the Jews. Again, don't take this personally unless the spirit is convicting you. A lot of people today, and many people today, have a bent in our heart to use Jesus rather than love him. We have a way of wanting Jesus for the sake of him doing something for us. We kind of do a weird trade-off. Jesus, I'll do this for you if you do that for me. But the motivation is me-centered. I follow Jesus because it makes my life better. Because he could bless my life. He could take care of my family. Uh, Again, is it all wrong? Probably not. Our God is so great and abundant in in grace that he probably will bless us that way. But our internal motivation is off sometimes. Why? Because we're seeking Jesus. We're seeking God for our personal gain. We want to use Jesus rather than adore him. I love the song we just sang. We need to be able to just sit at his presence and adore him and worship him. But sometimes that's not the reason why we follow Jesus. And many people in this world want to use Jesus rather than worship him. And you've probably heard of this illustration. 
We want Jesus to be like the genie in a bottle. <laughs> we don't want him to rule. We don't want him to take control of our lives. We don't want him to be our Lord and King, which he is. But we actually want him to be kind of, you know, available when we need him. <laughs> we want him to, you know, come and show up in a powerful way when we ask him to come up and show up. And so we rub a little prayer and we hope that Jesus will answer and bless us with so many things. And hey, that makes all of us feel good because we got Jesus on our back. But is that really why we come to worship like this? Is this why we follow Christ? I think these were wise men because I think they came for the right reason. They weren't looking for any glory. They weren't looking to you know, acclaim anything. They came because they wanted to Worship him. Check your motivation. Check your heart. It's so easy for many of us, including any pastors, any, any religious leaders, for us to go one degree south, one degree, one degree off from this main point. We, we do realize that he is God. <laughs> we do realize that we serve at his command. We have to realize that we exist for him, not the other way around. He's, our God is not a you know, convenience store where we go in and pick up whatever we need at times. No, he is God. What is worthy of him is for us to worship. And so I think these made these wise people, the magis, why? It's because they came for the right reason. They came to do what? To worship. To adore. Number five. I hope this will hit home. They gave Jesus the best they had. They weren't coming to Jesus and just to bow down and giving him a lip service. Don't take that too personally unless the spirit convicts you. Sometimes we do this. Sometimes we give Jesus lip service. And not really do by giving of our best. What did they come to do? And they came to worship, but did they not? They came not with empty hands. They didn't come with leftovers or some worthless, worthless items that, you know, recycled gifts of any kind. They came with the best. The scripture, all of us know this. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And they, they, were, they actually, I, I believe, without all, you know, any doubt, I believe they, they came with these gifts with significant symbolism in mind. Let me try to explain. They came not just, hey, you know, I got something I want to give Jesus. They came with gold, a frankincense or incense, and they came with myrrh. With, with, these are unique and precious gifts specific for Jesus, I think. It wasn't a gift they purchased at Target and just, hey, this looks great. Let's just give this to Jesus. These had symbolic meanings. Let me try to explain. Gold is a gift worthy of kings. Why did they give Jesus gold? Not because he could sell it and become rich with you know, making money out of gold. Gold represented king. When you come before a king of any kind, the gifts you bring to a king is gold. They didn't have other 
I don't know, it could have been diamonds back then, but I'm not sure if diamond was popular back then. So gold was uh, a treasure uh, worthy of kings. So when you come before a king, that's the gifts you bring. What is this significantly? What is the symbolic meaning of it? Why did they bring gold to this baby? Because they saw him as what? As king. They even use those words, king of the Jews. So that's why they brought gold, because gold represented a gift worthy of a king. Second thing they brought is what? Frankincense or incense. And these incense was used in the temple during the worship of God. So they were saying this lady, little baby, a mere baby, but he is worthy of worship. Now tell me, who alone is worthy of worship? God. So what were they symbolically telling everybody by bringing this gift? Jesus is God. He is worthy of worship. Now, myrrh, third one is kind of unique, and it's, it has multiple uses in the New Old Testament and New, but one of the primary way of uh, myrrh was used uh, was to, uh, it, it was a, a spice used to embalm dead bodies. <laughs> now, so if, if you're bringing this gift to a baby, it, it just sounds off, right? I mean, you come to the baby shower and you give this gift, what does that really symbolize? What do you, you want my kid to die? Is that what you're saying? But this gift actually had that, I think, symbolism. I think this gift, I think, had looked forward into why Jesus came in the first place. He came as a savior, the king of the Jews, who will eventually, by the prophetic words, be crucified, be, be slain. This baby, it's only a few months old, maybe, but this baby is a savior who will bear death for sin. Now, there's many other studies I think you could, you could look into, but I believe when, when the Magi's came, they didn't come with empty hands, but they didn't only come with just anything. They came with significant gift, meaningful gift that made sense only to Jesus. So another kind of a roundup of an application would be what are you sometimes giving Jesus? What are we, what are, what are we supposed to be giving Jesus? Because these wise men came with specific gifts that are right, worthy of our Savior, of our Lord Jesus. So good question to ask. And that is the second question. That is, what gifts should I give Jesus this Christmas? I don't want to park on all the shopaholics in this room. But we tend to give gifts to everybody in Christmas except Jesus. That sound off? It's his birthday, by the way. So, again, it's, it's a great practice for us to buy gifts for all of our family as a glad, joyful celebration of who they are in our life. All, it's not I'm, not, I'm not saying don't buy any gifts, but... I think we might have to go back and ask, what am I giving Jesus this Christmas? Okay, so that's the second question. I believe there is, you know, Jesus, like everybody else, is, he, he's one of those very difficult person to shop for. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? 
I mean, you know people, your mom or dad or somebody who you, you dearly love and you want to buy them gifts and you go search online, Amazon, you do everything. You go, I, they got everything. They, I don't know what they need. I mean, it's hard to buy them anything, so you get them the next best thing, gift card. <laughs> you know? But we, we can't do that with Jesus. I mean, how are you going to mail it to him? I mean, he's not even here. So it, it makes it hard. But I believe there is one thing one thing, and I'm going to try to expound on this. I, I, there's one thing that you could give Jesus, and he won't have it until you actually give him give this thing. We think Jesus has everything. I, I beg to differ. He doesn't have everything. He is missing this. And so let me point out what that is. Give him your trust. He doesn't have it. He can't force it. He can't take it from you. He doesn't put a gun in your head and say, if you don't trust me, you're done. But he's asking us to trust him. Faith, basically, which is a voluntary matter for you and I to say, I trust you, Lord, with my life, my eternity. I trust you. You decide how much you're going to trust. And some of us are struggling because you trust Jesus at a certain Certain way, certain parameters, agree? Right? All of us are struggle, struggling in that. You know, we have this one side that always say, I want to trust in Jesus. We have the other side that, no, I want to trust in math. <laughs> and we, 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 we struggle. And we have a way of trying to balance this out. But really, it comes down to that one word, and that is for us to trust God and trust in him. What are you trusting God with in your life? Might be a different question. Are you going to trust God with every area of your life, every aspect of your life? Let me suggest uh, for you to trust God in these two things, and it's probably two sides of the same coin, and you'll see why. First, trust him, and I'm trying to make it a little more practical and tangible, hopefully. Trust him with your heart. Now that's, again, I'll explain. Trust him with your heart. What is your heart? Uh, the scripture says, uh, for your tr- where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And I believe the heart for us, at least symbolically, not the beating itself, not the, not the you know, heart, that physical heart, but the center of who we are is, is what you love. Heart is what you value the most. Heart is what you hold dear. Heart is the things that you care about the most. Heart is really where your treasure is. That's why Matthew 6.21 says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Again, I'm going to get to this more descriptively in the second part, but you, get, you understand where we place our treasure, that's really where our focus is and energy is, and we are paying attention to it, right? If you buy a new car, any of you, any of you had a new car? When you buy a new car, all of a sudden you're worried that somebody's going to ding it. And, <laughs> you know, your focus is on, wait, what, what am I supposed to do? How can I take care of it? When you buy a new house, same thing happens. When you buy a piece of art, I, I'm not an art collector, but when you buy something precious, something so meaningful and valuable to you, then all of a sudden your heart goes there. You're worried about it. You're, you're trying to protect it. You're trying to invest it well, and whatever happens is your heart starts leaning towards it. 
We start investing our time, our money, our worth, our value, and others. I think this is what the wise men did, and that is they brought their gold, their treasure, and they, they invested their time, their life. And I, would, I, would, I could deduct and conclude that these guys actually had a heart, and they were giving Jesus, a God, a heart, trusting him with their heart. You know, I, I, I don't like it when people say, I love you in my own special way. I can't read that. <laughs> I, I don't know how to make sense of that. When you say, I love you in my own special way, they don't do anything, they don't say anything. It, what does that mean? <laughs> right? And I think it's also true with our love with Jesus. We can't just sit there quietly in deep meditation of our own self and say, I love Jesus my own special way. But our, it, it's reflective of what we do. It's ref, it, our heart is reflected of what we give. And that's why I think he says, where your treasure is, so invest your treasure in him. Invest and place your treasure in him. Then your heart will be where the treasure is. You guys agree, right? It's not that God needs money. It was his in the, from the beginning. It's his forever. It's, you and I are on a loan. We basically could use money or whatever he gives us for 60, 70, 80, if you're lucky, 90 years. And he says, I'm giving it to you as a loan. Will you become a master of it or be mastered by it? These are treasures the world loves and honors. What will you do with it? And I think he's not looking for our money, but he, he's looking for our outward expression of our devotion to him by cutting our ties and becoming mastered by it by giving. He's not looking for the dollar signs or even the gold coins. He's looking for what? What it represents. Everybody follow the argument? He's not looking for how much we gave. He's looking for what that represents to us. So you can't just say, I love Jesus in my own special way. Because he's actually looking for what that represents. And he's made it pretty clear. If you are holding on to your own treasure, I know where your heart is. But if you are actually giving, I know where your heart is. Because what it represents is you're trusting your heart, your treasure with him. Can I tell you a secret? He wants to obviously bless us. Agree? The Bible seems to be pretty clear. He wants to bless us. But receiving his blessing is not the end game for God. He wants to bless us so that we could be a blessing to others. He blesses you with great job and health and monetary, financial security and house and everything. He blesses us with many so that what? You and I could become a blessing to others. We become a conduit of God's blessing to everybody else. Not just in a spiritual sense. Again, if we just say, oh, I, I, just, I love Jesus in my own spiritual way, I'm, I'm, again, I, I have to go back and say, yes, but nobody understands that part except you. <laughs> But if you start giving of your blessing, your treasure, and place it before Jesus and be before the church and say, God, I'm giving it to you. 
I want to be freed from this master hold of this treasure from the world. I want, to, I want it to be used by you for blessing others. Then we become a conduit. You know what happens to people that continues to give others, continues to bless? He blesses more. Not for your own sake. Not, sad, not that you could hoard it over, but that you could be a greater blessing to many others. I pray living hope will become that church. Well, God has blessed this church so abundantly and so clearly. And for all the members you have given to Jesus and laid at his feet, our treasure, what holds grip in our heart, Lord, we want to give it to you. And when you do that, I believe God will use this church, your life, as a conduit of blessing to many, many people who need it. So people that need $10 this morning in order for them to make breakfast and lunch for their family, they can't be happy when you're, all that we're saying is, go in peace and be warm. I'll pray for you. It, it takes the treasure that we think is ours. We need to give it so that God could use it for his glory. Amen? So that's the first part, which is kind of a lumped up, big, kind of a fuzzy, warm, kind of a heart issue. Let me try to dissect this in a, a more tangible way. And that is trust him. First of all, trust him with your heart. And this is the other side of the coin. Trust him with your first. And I, it's really an acronym, first. So here's what it means. Trust him with your finance. Some of you are going to have a hard time just, just at the first word. Trust him. It's his anyway. Trust him with it. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? When I say finance, trust him with your finance. There's a scripture uh, that talks about, you know, how we need to make God first in our life. And first of the 10 commandment basically says this, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second one is what? You shall have no other idols or images. What becomes idols and images for us? I put some, some, some of those lists here. Career could become our idol. Our relationship with our friends or you know, dating friend or money or hobby. Sometimes our family, our kids. Sometimes our house. And other things becomes our idol. And the scripture is pretty clear. You, you shall not have this. And this is why I believe we need to intentionally think about how am I making God, how am I making Jesus first in my life? And the first sign of that is finance. Again, it ties pretty closely with what we just talked about, the heart issue, because it's all intertwined, okay? It's all intertwined. Finance, committing to Jesus, to giving of your offering, your tithe and Thanksgiving offering, to, to serve the community, giving missions offering, because you want the blessing to continue to flow to the people that are in need. I represents, obviously, interest. He needs to be first in your interest, he cannot be something that you think about aftermath. That's when you make Jesus become a genie in a bottle. But he needs to be your interest. That's what you are interested in. You're interested in this relationship with our Savior. You just love him and adore him. You want to know more about him. Let me ask you to raise your hand if you agree with this. The more older I get, the more I need Jesus. Anybody? Only a couple of few... 
Uh, let me ask everybody that's not old. <laughs> you guys follow the argument, right? I, the, the, the level of death I thought I knew Jesus when I was 20 doesn't compare to who I know him as now. And it will not compare when I get to my 70s and 80s. I'm going to need my Savior more. Why? Because it's a relationship with him. How I see my Savior when I'm in 20s, you know, not having any idea is different than when I had my first child. You guys follow the argument? When your physical body stops working well, then you start going, yeah, I need Jesus more every day. I think that's what it is. He needs to be our primary interest in our life. Third, obviously, is R. R stands for relationships. For you and I to place God in the first place of our relationships. For Christians, those who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, if we don't get this vertical relationship right, all other relationship doesn't make a lot of sense. You guys follow the argument? If I don't have my relationship with my Savior and my God correct, and we're always making that primary, our relationship with our spouse, our kids, our, our friends, our you know, believers and friends, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So it has to go back to the primary focus, my relationship with God, and then my relationship with others. Jesus said, this summarizes the Old Testament and New Testament. What is that? What did he say? When you love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then you love one another. But I think the significance is in the sequence. Primary relationship is with our God. S stands for schedule. Uh, Put God first in your schedule. Uh, What does it mean? I I would say simply, start your day with Jesus and end your day with Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't go to work. You do go to work. (laughs) Okay? If he's giving you a healthy body, good mind, capacity to work, and giving you a good job, his will for you that day is to go to work. Okay? Don't say, CJ said, hey, we don't have to work anymore. That's not what I mean. But you start your day with Jesus, with God in your mind. Put him first. The moment you wake up, God, thank you for this day. It could be a few moments for you to spend. God, help me so that I could, every email I send, every phone call I make, every meetings I have, Lord God, I could be used by you. And hopefully close to the day, you could look back and say, thank you, God, for this great day. For you to be able to end the day praising and thanksgiving thanking him for. Last one is T. Uh, what, does it, what does this team in trouble? Sometimes uh, we have a weird way of uh, trusting in God. We trust him when everything seems to be okay, but sometimes when troubles, you know, when troubles come and trials happen, we panic. And the first thing we do is try to call everybody we know and ask for help. <laughs> and maybe the last thing we do is we ask our pastors, Pastor, can you pray for me? It's almost like praying and depending on God through our troubles becomes a last resort. It's like everything else failed, so I need Jesus now. Rather than the reverse. Does he know that you're going to get into troubles and trials? Didn't he already say in this world you will have problems? (laughs) You will have trials and you will have temptations? He knows all this, so what is his antidote for us? Trust him with all your troubles. When it happens, don't be surprised. Don't, don't feel like, why, 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 why? You know, we, we do this, why me, why, why now? 
It's supposed to be part of our life. Good times and bad. <laughs> All are part of our life. But when they do come, I pray that the first thing you turn to is, God, you're sovereign. This is not hidden from you. Whatever issues and troubles that we're going through right now, you are on top of this, you are in control. Help me to trust in you with my troubles. Don't turn to everyone else and then make God into a, a genie in a bottle. Please fix this because there's no other help I get. My, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough wisdom, I don't have enough power. I mean, we, we start trying to fix problems in our life on our own. So when troubles come, that's what he, I think that's what we're supposed to be doing. Here's an amazing promise from Matthew 6. When you and I trust him with our first, I believe he's saying something like this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek him and seek his righteousness. And he says all of these things, everything else will be given to you as well. So this Christmas, I say to you about this. Uh, first, I hope you are able to learn from the wise men, the magis, and read through that scripture again and just ponder on some of these clues. Am I really seeking the truth? You know, unfortunate pattern I see in, in a lot of churches is even the pastors sometimes are not seeking the truth. People are not really wanting the truth. They want whatever words or ideas out there that will scratch whatever they want to hear. But we have to seek the truth. Go to any, any length to find it. It's going to cost you. It's going to have to cost you. Otherwise, it won't be meaningful. But don't stop until you find the truth in Christ. Don't stop. Don't get too busy. Don't get sidetracked. Don't just say, hey, I, I, I know enough Christian faith. I know enough about Christ, and so I'm okay here. We shouldn't be. Come for the right reason. Seek Jesus and come to this worship. Walk with Jesus for the right reason. Otherwise, we make Jesus out to be one of the many idols in our life. And the second commandment says what? You shall not have no other idols. Don't make an image out of him. And the last one is give Jesus your best. Meaningful gift, and I try to expound for you this way. Trust him. That's the gift he needs from you today. Trust. Trust him with what? Your heart and your first. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for helping us to understand a little bit more. Thank you for uh, your word and uh, providing this example through the magis who travel a long distance. Thank you that you brought them to Jesus with the right motivation, with the right gifts, and they've given us a model to follow after. And so, Lord, I, I just ask that you would now allow your Holy Spirit to move in everybody, every person, every, every individual who had the ears to hear. Help us now to make sense of what we just learned but also let it lead to a place where we are willing and joyfully, gladly 
giving of our trust, to trust him with all that we are, our heart and our first. Receive glory and honor, Lord. Thank you again for this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.